Hello and welcome to the Steps to Investing podcast, helping aspiring investors get to grips with the world of finance and investing. On today's programme, we talk to Rachel Springall from comparison site MoneyFacts about what you can expect to get when you hold cash in savings products. After all, some short-term financial goals are better met with the safety cash gives you. Hello, I'm Simon Longfellow. And I'm Marcus De Silva. And welcome along to this week's pod. On today's show, it's not quite cash in the attic, it's more cash in the bank. Um, and we're going to look at different savings products and what they can do for you. Uh, before that, as always, though, let's have a look at some some numbers. Marcus, what stats have landed on your desk this week? Yeah, so I've been having a look at some data and analysis from our lovely friends at Interactive Investor. In case you don't know them, they are the second largest investment platform in the UK. And... What we've been looking at is the past six month performance, because what we what we wanted to see was it's it's been almost precisely to the day, the six months since we heard news of vaccines coming through the first vaccines uh, that were announced, I think, by Pfizer. And um, and at that moment everything changed in markets. We saw a big rotation. It was what they call this reflation trade. So it's this movement in investors of suddenly going, do you know what, we don't need the safety of what they deem growth stocks. So in areas like healthcare and tech, which tend to be a bit more economically resilient. Now what we want is something that's a bit more economically exposed. So it's typified by what they call value stocks. These are companies that appear cheap relative to their price when you look at their stuff like their assets and stuff. And they tend to be more oldie-worldie in heavier industries, things like mining. And those companies tend to be a bit more economically sensitive. So when suddenly it seems like the world is going to improve, things are going to get back to normal, suddenly everyone wanted this. So there was this big rotation out of growth into value. And the UK market seemed quite attractive at that period of time. And we spoke about it quite a bit because there's quite a lot of value in the UK market. And not only that, but we had this pent up frustration around Brexit and all the negotiations and not knowing where that was going to lead us. So it left, left this uncertainty with investors around the UK. And it meant that for years, people just you know didn't really bother with it. So we had that pent up and suddenly that added another tailwind as well. Suddenly it was a chance for the UK economy to start start running a bit stronger. So it seemed very attractive, the UK. So did it work well for investors? That's the kind of question. What do you think, Simon? Hmm. Um, I don't know, actually. I, I, sus- I suspect there's there's been some positive, some positive upside, but I, I suspect it's not as great as you think it is. Hmm, that's interesting. Okay, so what, so what we looked at with this data was... Um, well, so the best-selling funds out there for the past three years are global funds. Right. And you can kind of see why, right? You know, like, do you have a global fund? I do, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have um, something called the Bankers Investment Trust, which yeah. is uh, asset allocates around, around the globe, basically. You can go anywhere. Yes. So it's very diversified. You've got your, yeah. your, your hands in lots of markets. It's quite a yeah. good... 100-and-something holdings in the portfolio. So it's quite, yeah, very well diversified. Well diversified. So it's a good it's a good core holding, right? Because it's, it gives you that equity exposure around the world, but you're not too exposed to anything market-specific. So that's been the best. For retail investors, they love 
global funds past three years, they've been absolutely snapping them up. And, and you know, we agree with that. So what we did was that over the past six months compared stuff that was a bit more value and UK versus these global ones. Now, global investment trusts over the past six months returned 21%. Right. So you wanted to be in equities because, of course, things were recovering. Great. Um, so that was investment trust. Global funds, slightly less at 20.2%. We'll get on just the differences between there in just a sec. Um, now compare that to UK, all company investment trusts. I am going to say, I don't know, uh, 10%? 10% more, you reckon? Yeah, yeah. They, they returned 48%. Wow. Which is pretty whacking. And for funds, they hand back 31%. I must have been sleeping under a rock then. <laughs> or, either that or my UK fund in my portfolio has performed particularly averagely. Perhaps. <laughs> Do you know what? Actually, my UK fund didn't perform very well really in that time. So I was obviously under that average. But that was the average. That's, that's, so that's the Investment Association and the Association of Investment Companies. Yep. So funds and investment trusts giving us that data. Um, and I think it's pretty whacking. I mean, especially those all company... Um, investment trust um, at 48%. Absolutely amazing. So in other words, the trade did work and it worked very well. I mean, that's some pretty stinging returns when you compare it wider than that. Also, as we saw, investment trusts did better than normal funds. Two reasons for that, discounts narrowing and gearing. So gearing is that ability of investment trusts to be able to borrow extra money so they can make extra investments, which has this effect of leveraging any performance. Either way, I may add. So leverage up as well as down. Yeah. So um, it's it's lots of stuff maybe that we would expect, but it, it's it's done well, and it means you know that that particular trade has done well, and it and it got me thinking a little bit as well about you know what do you do when things are running quite hard, and how do you take advantage of opportunities, and um, I think the the big thing is when you've got you know investments are long term. And when you look at your portfolio every now and again, you'll notice that some of your investments have run very, very strongly. So I think the best thing is to look at how that then balances out of your total portfolio. Look at the percentage that that really good investment now represents. And if it's a bit too much of your entire portfolio, then what you can do is trim these winners. You know, people have this compulsion to sell everything. As soon as something's run, they've got a 20% return, they sell the whole thing. Don't. Trim the winners. Trim when you have periods of really good performance. Raise some cash in your account. And then you've got the cash there ready to take advantage of these opportunities because the market will always throw them up. We never know when they're coming. So if you always got this kind of little bit of cash, then that's why when you're listening to our pod and you're listening to our quarterly magazine, you can take advantage of some of these opportunities. Um, uh, you know, I think that's quite that's quite a good strategy. Yeah, I, I was just thinking as you're talking about, uh, you know, th that reflation trade, you know, how long was that going to be a trade for, right? So, you know, we've looked at six months data, 50% return in six months is cracking, but investing is a long-term game. So how do you sort of, I suppose, marry that those those objectives of, uh, long-term game with that kind of short-term opportunistic mm. well this is going to do well in in the sort of short in the short term six months is very short time in investing time horizon yeah i think that's it really it's when you're looking at, at investment opportunities usually there's a long-term case and if things run very very strongly in the short term but still that long-term case remains in place then the sensible thing is not to completely sell your entire holding but to trim it so that at least you lock in some of those gains, but you're still exposed to that same theme that should still be running, unless yeah. something has materially changed, you know, like 
Britain and France actually go to war, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Channel yeah. Islands, you know. And I think you've been looking at top-selling funds, haven't you? Yeah, I have actually. Interactive also uh, given me some data around their their top retail funds that have been sold over the past month. And what I found interesting was three of those top ten were Vanguard Life Strategy Funds which is an, it, it's a very interesting, very popular retail product that's sort of ballooned in recent years. They're very, very cheap. So what they are is a fund of index funds, right? So trackers that, that sit underneath them, Vanguard trackers. So very, very cheap. Point, there's five portfolios. They're 0.22% for each portfolio, which is incredibly cheap. And what these five portfolios represent is this differing blend of shares and bonds and I think it's quite a nice it, it sort of reminds you of quite a nice way of like your own portfolio with shares you know you dial up the risk and with bonds you're you're dialing down the risk so the more bonds you have the kind of safer the portfolio the more shares the more adventurous your portfolio is so what they offer is this fund of trackers where you can have at the safe end it's 20 percent shares 80% bonds and then it kind of moves in 20% increments so you can then get a slightly more risky one with 40% shares 60% bonds and it goes all the way to 100% shares and no bonds in it depending on that risk appetite and the amount of time you have and I love in the website how simple it makes it you know how risk averse are you how much time you have you know if you're more risk averse you've got more time then you can go for these sort of riskier portfolios so that bit i all kind of i really really love what i found interesting was how incredibly diversified they are i mean each fund because of it's a fund of trackers which are very broad in themselves have between 6000 and 20000 shares and bonds you wow. know so you're investing in one thing and that's how widely your money gets spread now if you want to track an index fantastic if you want some diversification wow, this is very diverse. I mean, Buffett talks about diversification. You know, when you're exposed to so many things, that if one of them does well, it doesn't move the dial at all. Um, so there's, you know, there's a potential of that. I think, you know, generally when you're blending active and passive, passive always going to represent quite a lot of diversification. When you're looking at that active side of it, of your portfolio, though, make sure there are not too many stocks in that portfolio. I mean, another thing that Buffett says is that diversification, you know, when it comes to active managers, so you've got fund managers selecting stocks, if they're putting too many in their portfolio, then it, it's sort of protecting them against ignorance, as he sort of describes it. So I think that that was just, I just thought that was quite an interesting thing, really. And, you know, when it comes to, to active managers, yeah, as I say, make sure you find a portfolio that's not overly diversified. And if you find a good manager, then then probably stick with them. Okay, well, uh, in a moment, we're going to look in more detail, as I said, at cash in the bank and what you can expect to get. But first, let's find out what's been happening this week in the news. How have markets been this week, Marcus? Yeah, so in Europe, let's start there this time. The stocks is is hovering near all-time highs again. I think investors are feeling pretty confident about the recovery prospects now and where vaccines are going. We're seeing companies reporting strong profits. We're seeing hirings going up. I mean, more than half of the index companies have now reported their profits and 73% have beaten what the analysts thought that they were going to report their expectations. Normally, about 50% do it. So 
that shows you that that they're in they're in good health. Germany also saw some really good economic data off the back of some consumers who seem to be you know their domestic consumers are spending pretty strongly. So industrial orders there uh, bounced a lot in March. So that's been that's been pretty positive. In the UK, this lunchtime, just before we started recording this pod, we saw the central bank coming out and saying it had revised up its expectations of economic growth this year, that things are going going pretty well, but that it's not going to do anything with its monetary policy. You know, rates are going to remain on hold. The total size of its bond buying will stay the same, although it will reduce its monthly rate later in the summer, which it said was an operational decision. It wasn't anything to do with them changing monetary policy. The market may see it differently. So it'd be interesting to see where we, where we go from that, you know. Um, moving to the US, not so much from them this week. Biden is touring around, you know, getting people on board with his two programs, his two these two bills for infrastructure and families worth four trillion, which is pretty positive. But he did send pharma stocks tumbling because he put some support behind the idea of wavering patents on coronavirus vaccines so that poorer nations can get further with the vaccination programs you know particularly when you look at what's going on in India and how 50% of global infections are now are now um, based in India which is 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 really really bad the EC is pretty on board with this we heard their president Ursula von der Leyen agreeing with the idea but the Switzerland and the UK are less so. And they're, of course, home to big pharma. What they're saying is that it's going to disincentivize the companies when we have a future pandemic, that it will, because their profits have been affected, will, would be affected by wavering um, patents on these, that next time around, they're not going to bother us as, as hard. Um, and, and on top of that, manufacturing of these vaccines is quite a tricky thing. You know, we've already seen problems with manufacturing. So if they're going to get other nations to do this, then they'd have to send people and expertise. And, and, and that's not really going to make much of a difference to rollouts. I don't know about that. That seems all a bit cynical. I think probably the right the right approach is to deal with what's in the near term. And that's the pandemic and, and really try to just, you know, get these vaccine programs moving. All in all, the S&P 500 is slightly off at 39 points, down to 4,167. The FTSE 100 is up 80 points to 7,037. The Stock 600 is up 1 point to 440. And the Nikkei 225 is up 251 points to 29,331. Simon, what have you got in company? Well, in companies this week, uh, first up is the return to work uh, policies. A number of firms have come out with their plans for post-COVID office return. Google has emailed staff encouraging them to return to the office for three days a week with CEO Sundar Pichai outlining the benefits of working in the office. It said that people can still work remotely until September, though. In uh, contrast, social media platform Twitter has said that it, um, its employees can work from home forever if they choose to do so. Uh, Google said around 60% of their Googlers, as they call them, have already come back to the office. Meanwhile, in finance, investment bank Goldman Sachs has told its staff they should be ready to return to the office in June. Golden, Goldman's CEO, David Solomon, 
has described working from home as an aberration. Um, having said that, most of its workers in the uh, Asia-Pacific region are already returned to the office. UK workers are due to head back on the 21st of June, once all the lockdown restrictions are lifted, assuming that they are. Uh, but in contrast, rival firm JP Morgan said in April that they were going to need significantly less office space in future. They're only going to have 60 seats for every 100 people they employ. So let's hope they don't all turn up on the same day or there's going to be a lot of standing. Um, in contrast, uh, accountancy firm KPMG, they have said that workers will be allowed more time off. And in fact, what they've said is that they can leave early one day a week. Oh, that's uh, nice, isn't yeah, it? it's nice, isn't it? To help with well-being. So staff will get two and a half hours a week over the summer. CEO John Holt said that the pandemic had proven that it's not about where you work, it's about how you work. Uh, the move does come, though, after KPMG's UK head left the firm in February because he told workers to stop moaning about the impact of COVID-19. Not a smart move. Uh, KPMG has subsequently committed £44 million this year on new home working technology. They did a staff survey which found that and this is no surprise, really, 87% said they liked not having to commute. I worry about the 13% that said they liked commuting. But anyway, 87% um, they uh, said they didn't uh, mind not commuting. 76% said they enjoyed the greater flexibility uh, of working from home. And 65% said they had a better work-life balance. Okay, well, that's the news. Let's turn now to this week's interview. And Marcus spoke to Rachel Springall from Moneyfax about cash savings products. Now, I know we are an investing show, but today we're going to have a little look at savings. Because, of course, for certain financial goals that you have, there is a need to avoid risk and have that surety of a pot of cash that isn't going to go anywhere. But it's tricky right now. Interest rates are very low and hovering around the inflation mark, which means if inflation starts to beat that rate of interest you get on your savings, your pot is actually going backwards in value. Fear not, I have with me today Rachel Springle from Moneyfax, which is a leading UK provider of retail financial data. They do all sorts of analysis across products like mortgages, savings, credit cards, loans and so on. And today we're going to discuss the savings markets to see if she has any tips on where to find some inflation-beating accounts. Rachel, a very warm welcome to you. Hello. Okay, well, let's start with savings in general. Um, why, you know, why are savings a good idea? And what would you say, which goals are appropriate to saving rather than investing? Investing is obviously very important for the longer term, but when it comes to the shorter term, then saving in the cash investments, um, aka uh, sort of easy access accounts, fixed rate bonds, ISAs, so those that pay a usual little bit of interest for your savings pot is a good idea. Generally, it's important to save an emergency fund, so around three to six months usually of essential outgoings to cover is generally the staple that we should be looking at. Now, in terms of what you should be using to save, it really does depend on what your goal is for. So if you're looking for a short-term goal or a long-term goal, that will really define what type of account that you need to choose. So for example, if you're looking to save for a holiday, then you could be looking at short-term, so perhaps easy app 
excess or, or something like that. And if you're looking for long term, maybe look at a fixed or a regular fixed saver. Okay, right. That's interesting. Well, do you want to go through the different account options that you have there? I mean, you've sort of you've described them a little bit. Do you want to sort of describe the features of those um, uh, in a bit more detail? Yeah, so for these access accounts, they're usually the most common known uh, cash savings vehicle. So they will allow someone to put in a little bit of money as, as much and as often as they like or a lump sum. Usually you get a, a variable rate of interest on that. So it can go up as well as down, regardless of when you take that out. So that's quite important. But over the last few years, we have noticed that those easy access accounts can also uh, restrict withdrawals uh, for the interest rate you're paid. So just because they're easy access, that means that you can access your funds when you want, but it doesn't mean that you don't have the option of uh, having access in terms of withdrawals. So that's the, the kind of extra detail, I guess, that's being placed onto those types of accounts. Um, if we go into notice, they work similarly to Easy Access, but you have to give notice of so many days, say a month or so, to access your funds. Then we're looking at ISAs. You have the equivalent types of accounts, but just with the ISA bracket. Then you have fixed rate bonds and fixed rate bonds generally start from a few months up to five years or even seven years in some cases. But unfortunately, because as you say, interest rates have fallen, they're not looking as attractive as they have in the past. What happens is, so if you've got a fixed rate bond account, what happens if you do want your money out in you know a shorter period of time? Suddenly you need access to that cash. Yeah some, yeah, some of the fixed rate bonds will allow you to access, but it really does depend on the terms and conditions. Ultimately, if they do allow you, it will be under the basis of an interest rate penalty. Some could be a year's worth of interest rate penalty. What happens if, I mean, let, let's just talk about the risk mm. besides this. I mean, this is one of the key things with savings. What happens to your money if the bank goes bust? So this is a question of where you have it saved. So if you have it with um, one of the usual UK banks, so say your Lloyds Banking Group, you'll be covered by the Financial Services Compensation Scheme, but it is based on the banking license. So if you have your money with Lloyds and Halifax and it breaches your individual limit, you'll only be covered under the one banking license. So if you have 85,000 as one person and you have another 85,000, both with Halifax and Lloyds, you're only covered by one amount because it's done by banking license. So this is why it's important to ensure you know who your money is with and that you have it spread across different banking licenses to ensure you're covered under the full amount. What about, um, I wanna get onto the interest rates right now. I mean, where are we in terms of the central bank interest rate? And can you also explain like the mechanism I and mean, how does that base rate affect the interest rates that we get on our savings accounts? Sure. Well, the Bank of England base rate is at a record low. Traditionally, over the years, what would happen with a reduction in base rate, it would then fuel different variable easy access accounts, notice accounts, anything with a variable rate, it would make those also go down. Now, over the years, we have had other influences that have made rates go down, regardless of whether they're variable or fixed. Things like government lending schemes, they allowed uh, people to be given, um, not people, but banks, they allowed banks banks to basically borrow off the government for cheap, then they didn't have to turn to savers to fund their lending. Now that has had a huge effect on interest rates. So whilst base rate still has an influence, it's been other external factors like the lending schemes and also COVID that have led to drops in interest rates. And they're currently all at record lows. 
Mm. So the base rate is currently 0.1%, is that right? It is at the moment indeed, yes. Okay, and then I wanted to talk to you about, you know, the cash ISA. So this is obviously an account that's protected from the tax man. So any interest that you get on your savings, you don't have to worry about, you know, getting tax on. And, you know, at the moment, we, I mean, we have this thing called the, the personal savings allowance, right? And it means that you can earn up to £1,000 a year in interest, or if you're a high rate taxpayer, up to £500 in interest, and that be completely tax free. So considering that, I mean, you were talking about instant access accounts there, so you know, it's around 0.5%. That means that you would have to have more than £200,000 in savings before you started breaching your personal savings allowance. So my question is, is there a lot of point in having a cash ISA when you'd need a thunderous amount of savings to get over an amount, to get over that interest that, that you would need to start paying tax on anyway? Well, this is the thing, the personal savings allowance, when it came out of the blue almost it, it almost got nearly over 90 percent or so of savers outside of being having to pay tax on their savings so at the moment it would cause quite a controversy if it was to be pulled away and there's no reason why the PSA couldn't be pulled away and I think that uncertainty is why cash ISAs could still be an attractive option for the longer term because if you have your money in an ISA it is tax-free it has that bracket if you transfer it to another one it keeps the tax-free status if the PSA gets withdrawn any money you have under that will be subject to tax as you say depending on the amount of money you have in your savings etc so it is important to keep in mind any balances you have across different types of savings vehicles just in case that were to happen. Mm. And I suppose of course when interest rates go up that dramatically changes that amount of money that you can have that would you know that maybe be caught by the PSA um, quite quickly uh, as interest rates you know if they hike quite quickly. Yeah, absolutely. And this is what we would have to watch out for. I mean, at the moment, it's very uncertain to see what's going to happen with interest rates, but inflation is rising. Interest rates um, on savings rates are at a record low. So it's not going to be immediately. Um, but if someone has got that money invested and locked in for the longer term, and it's not in an ISA, this is what you've got to think about. You've got to think about how, how you've got it saved, how long you've got it saved for. Well, that seems like a good segue, actually, to to move on to inflation. Recently, we've seen that it's jumped upwards to 0.7% from 0.4. So did this have a big effect on how many accounts offer inflation beating returns? It had a huge effect. It actually wiped over 200 inflation beating accounts out of the mix. So we had over 300 or so um, back when it was 0.4%. Now, now that it's only 0.7, again, it's not even 1% yet, but the fact it's just 0.7 is that there's only around 90 accounts that can beat it. And that just shows you that if the government target was to be met or even breached at 2%, there isn't actually any standard savings accounts on the market today that could beat it. And roughly, I mean, this is 90 out of how many accounts in total would you roughly say? 
Oh, there's hundreds. There's hundreds of savings accounts out there. Um, but the, the problem is because interest rates have fallen so low, there's lots of accounts out there that pay as little as 0.01%. So some haven't actually beaten inflation for years. So it really does depend on where you've got your money saved. Again, if you have money in a very convenient account, it's highly unlikely you're going to be beating inflation. And that is eroding in real terms. You're looking at fixed to beat it right now, genuinely. Um, but again, that's not for everyone some people want their money easy to hand so they're just going to have to deal with the fact that it's not going to be beating inflation indeed for the longer term as well if we are as i said going to breach that two percent none of your money in an easy access account or a fixed rate will beat it because the highest rate you can get at the moment is around 1.4 or so and a year ago you could get 1.2 on easy access that just shows you how crazy the market's fallen over the past year Yes, of course. And I think there's also what our listeners have to keep in mind is that there's some sympathy from central bankers that inflation could be allowed to, to go a bit higher than the 2% target for the moment as we kind of get back in into, uh, you know, we're in recovery mode and we sort of move out of the pandemic. So I suppose there is a real risk there. Okay, so across those those main account options that you've mentioned, who offers the best rates out there? Uh, well, we would have to say challenger banks, Islamic banks and mutuals right now, um, which have been fairly consistent in offering the best returns on, on so easy access accounts, ISAs, fixed rates. So you're not really going to see your UK high street bank. You may see the likes of Virgin Money pop into Best Buys from time to time. Uh, but ultimately, if you're looking at the top rates in the top 10 you're going to be looking at challenger banks so the likes of paragon bank um, they currently have a really good easy access account where you can use your money as much as you like and not have withdrawal restrictions but you also see uh, different leading uh, brands like yorkshire bill society and nationwide appear um, in certain sectors so it really does depend on again what type of vehicle you're looking at What's the what's the range of of um, rates that you get from easy access up to five year fixed rate? What what is that that spread? Mm -hmm. So at the moment, if you're looking for one of the top rates for easy access, you're looking around 0.4% um, is one of the best sort of returns you're looking at if you're weighing up lots of different uh, providers. If you're looking at fixed, again, you're not going to get too much more depending on how long you want to invest for. So if you're looking at the cash ice equivalent of a fixed, you're looking at around 0.4% again on a one year. Um, whereas if you're looking at a straightforward fixed rate, bond outside of that ISA wrapper you could get around 0.6 so it, it really does depend but you're not going to be getting one percent unless again you're looking more at longer term fixed so that's how different the markets have changed whereas a year ago you could get around 1.2 percent on an easy access account and of course all this information is on money facts and is that updated quite quite regularly Indeed, yes, we've got a full data team, so they're frequently updating the best buys. Uh, again, we have lots of different other products as well, but yeah, savings, there's loads and loads and loads of different accounts out there, and all the details are on our website, moneyfacts.co.uk. So again, if you're going for easy access, and you want to have a look at those extra details, they're all on there too. Great stuff. Well, that just leaves me to say goodbye to Rachel. Rachel, thanks very much for joining us on the pod. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, well, thank you, Rachel, for that interview. Very uh, insightful. Um, I mean, what did I take away from it? I suppose uh, you know we've got to hold cash. Uh, it's important. But if you you know if you are going to hold it, then you know shop around 
because even uh, you know although rates are low there are massive differences in rates so you know look at the comparison sites look at the best buy tables in the national weekend press uh, some of the smaller building societies that you've probably not heard of are probably where you'll find the best rates if you can afford to have your money tied up for a period, then notice accounts, whether they're a 90 days or a year or whatever, uh, you're probably going to get a little uh, better rate of interest on those. And of course, ca cash ISAs, let's not forget cash ISAs, um, they are going to protect you from tax uh, should your income from uh, the, 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 the cash you hold be um, be over the, the threshold and of course uh, also think if you you know if you are holding a lot of cash over eighty five thousand pounds then make sure that you spread it around as it were because the eighty five grand is the limit for the financial services compensation scheme if your uh, institution where you're holding your money were to go bust uh, that's the limit you're protected to so if you've got more than that it makes sense to have it more than one place um what did you reckon marcus yeah i mean i think it just it shows you the sort of slightly dire state that we're in um with with where rates are right now and i think outside of that very important rainy day fund that you have you know you don't have you don't have a lot of choice for that really you need ac easy access cash it, it it would be quite silly not to have that if you're investing but outside of that you should really be putting your money to work in the markets i think and just to to to, to give you an idea you know so we know the rate of inflation is 0.7% there. Rachel discussed some of those good rates that you can get, which hover around that. If you were to go to the UK uh, FTSE 100, well, I mean, we, we saw last year that dividends were, were cut quite a lot. It's actually bounced back quite a bit since then, and dividends have been res restored in the large part. And if you buy in now at around about the 7,000 mark where where it is at then dividends this year would equate to a 3.7 percent yield um if everything goes well so i think i think that sort of shows you the difference that at the moment between um some of those those safer cash investments but but what you can achieve potentially if you invest your money uh, in the markets really Okay, well, on that note, let's uh, round off the show. Thank you, Rachel, for your time for the interview. Thank you for listening. And uh, do join us again next week. Until then, it's goodbye from us. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.